0: It's really always been about making sure all the pieces work and communicate well.
1: Welcome to a and Business Strategies, a podcast hosted by Monograph about the architecture and engineering leaders who run great firms. In this episode, you're going to learn how Garrison Architects cut costs in half by switching from ArchiOffice to Monograph.
2: It's much more transparent. It's easier to follow. It's
1: easier to manage. It's easier to set up. It's easier to adjust. And make sure to listen till the end to hear an audience question about a common problem faced by office admins in the architecture and engineering industry.
3: I don't think anyone should treat even just an admin like an admin. I think everyone within a company has a very critical role and provides a lot of support.
1: Nuna to Monograph? It's an easy-to-use project management software designed exclusively for A&E firms. Get started at monograph.com. Today, we're talking with Garrison Architects out of Brooklyn. We got two folks from the firm here, Bibi Leslie, she's the office manager at Garrison, and Sal Tranchina, the senior associate. Last year, they switched from Archie Office to Monograph. It streamlined their project tracking, staffing, and billing. You can learn more about their story on our website. Go to monograph.com slash customers or click the link in the show notes. Okay, let me tell you about our guests here. Bibi runs the firm's business operations and management. She has a versatile background in tech startups, design-build contracting, and emergency and disaster management. All of this informs her holistic approach to saving time and money at Garrison Architects. Sal has over two decades of experience practicing architecture. His education as an engineer and his focus on design implementation make him a knowledgeable and disciplined manager. Actually, both of them previously owned their own practices. I'm curious, what's the top thing you bring to work having previously been a firm owner? The thing about when you run your own office, you have to do everything or at least you understand how
2: everything is interrelated. I mean, you make all the dumb mistakes first, but um, you understand the relationship of the business to the practice to managing the the you know, the um, process to uh, finding all the ways to be profitable and what costs are and everything. So like by just by having done it, or you, you, know, you come into management position in our office and you only have a piece of that, you at least understand and, and responsible for a piece of that. You understand how that, what you do relates to everything else.
0: It's really always been about making sure all the pieces work and communicate well, right? Um, I agree with, with Sal. We, I think we know best based on our personal experience here as well, how quickly overwhelmed the owner or the single, let's say ruler can get. And it always becomes a challenge managing the finances, managing the people, managing the clients, and it's all making sure that little spider's web stays very, very connected. Um, from a people perspective, that's my priority beginning of the day, end of uh, of the day, and also knowing how not to get that easy burnout that can happen when you're focusing on 99 different things, um, and also knowing when to ask for help, when to take a step back.
1: That's awesome. It's going to be a great conversation today. We're all busy here, Sal especially. So he's going to be leaving halfway through, but Bibi's going to stay for questions. So make sure to watch until the end for our discussion with Bibi about the office admin and business manager role in architecture and engineering firms. So Garrison Architects works across private residential and large-scale public projects. They specialize in sustainable modular building design with a highly refined moderate aesthetic. Sal and Bibi, can you help us understand the Garrison portfolio? Why are clients attracted to working with Garrison? And maybe talk through a few of the project images here.
2: Generally speaking, you know, Jim, mostly Jim Garrison and the the quality of the work, I think, attracts clients. Jim has been at this for a long time and very early on uh, won a bunch of awards, you know, and he's attracted a really great group of architects to work with him. And then that the quality of that that group has kind of continued you know for the 30 something years that he's been in practice so you know i think that's part of it and then you know we've through that that experience and the, the awards we've won um some pretty amazing contracts with both the federal government um in their design excellence program the gsa's design excellence program and then the city's uh new york city's design excellence program um at the early, you know, the beginning of 2009, 10, you know, the Bloomberg administration. Um, and from that, you know, we did a bunch of buildings in the, in your know, public buildings. Uh, during that process, we got into modular, uh, modular buildings. Um, first with the federal government working with, uh, on modular homes, but then we expanded to, you know, large scale, um, modular housing projects and hotels and that kind of thing. We've done a lot of weird one off uh, projects for pretty high profile clients like Verizon. That one of those, that little silver thing on the in the desert there was a modular mobile uh, basically air traffic control center for drones, all things. So um but I think it's, uh, you know, that we've just kind of accumulated this amazing portfolio and there's always been a commitment to doing quality work that has gotten us recognized. And and it's one of those things where when you do one project that gets published, you get six more. So every, every five years, we seem to do a different kind of project type based on, you know, so the, that cabin you see in the middle there is a, is a landscape hotel, which has, you know, during the pandemic has gotten really popular, it got published in all sorts of fashion magazines. Now we're, we've done three or four of them. So it's, you know, which is a great fun project. So that's kind of the, the way it works. But I think that it's the quality of design, the staff that we get. Jim and I teach architecture. And I think that draws in the young, uh, bright-eyed, really talented students, post-students, um, and so that perpetuates that.
0: We each have our own forte within the firm, right? Everything that he's spoken of, about, it can be translated to the organizational management level. Um, and I think one of the things that I would have to say that I respect the most about Jim is how much time and effort he puts into communicating with the client, And and basically, for lack of of better phrasing, communicating his understanding of their vision, right? We all understand there's a lot of things within those parameters that have to take place, but he's able to work with them. And he he does so at no cost to the client, right? Just because he understands the vision and the impact of that particular project or, um, the impact the project will have in the surrounding community. And that's also something that he always looks at, right? That very holistic perspective of the impact of the design. But above and beyond it's, it's being able to see the vision, communicate that understanding to the client and eventually work with our team and get that vision manifested.
1: Can you talk about this teamwork that exists to enable Jim to focus on what he loves and does best? BB and I each have
2: our expertise, you know, and, and our roles in in the process. I'm responsible for kind of organizing the projects and, um, managing the staffing and, and the fees and the proposals and that kind of thing, keeping everything on track and, you know, BB picks up where I leave off on that and deals with everything else and has a dollar sign and, and uh, strategic, you know, thinking about all sorts of other stuff that my eyes blaze over. Thankfully, she does it and, and we work really well together. I mean, you yeah, know, we talk all the time and and we, we when it came to uh, selecting a, a system to help us manage her job as well as mine. You know, we kind of did it together. She, she's, I just, you know, i identified a bunch of different software packages and then, you know, we went through it together and discussed what we needed and what, what worked for her, what worked for me.
0: I think the only part that you didn't mention from the beginning, we don't usually go after talent, right? And I use the word talent instead of architects or designers because that's what it is, right? We don't usually go after talent. Like we've said before, the company Garrison Architects has this reputation, has this legacy behind them, right? Simply because of the work that we've done before, um, the impact that our staff has had within the academic community. So from the beginning, when we choose to bring folks into the firm, um, everyone listed at the bottom there has been a group decision between Jim, myself, and Sal, right? We don't just look at their skills, we look at their potential development, how we can utilize their current skill set, build upon that, and basically make them, I don't like to use the term, but make them very, very specialized generalists, where they understand how to approach a project from beginning to end. And I'll use Anthony Andrews as as an example. He and I both started pretty much within days of of each other. He started as an intern, just trying to learn the dynamics within the firm. Um, I think he started just drafting a couple of things pretty shortly after conversations, 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 he graduated and he's here. Um, his job has grown significantly between what he was doing as an intern and what he's currently doing now. And he actually had a, I'd say, a reverse um, experience where instead of just starting with preliminary or schematic design, he got tossed into the construction administration bucket right at the beginning, because that's where we were short-staffed. And, you know, that's really what I meant when I say every single person brought into the company has a significant role. Um... There is some redundancy within the roles, but at the end of the day, that's how, um, Sal determines the teaming based on their skill set, based on who's more flexible, who can be pulled off to do something else on, on another project, because it's never just one project we're working on. So these guys and gals, they need to be able to just switch to another hat at the drop of, of a dime.
1: That leads us to the spreadsheet that you used before Monograph. Sal, can you talk about composing these teams and spreading out talent across the projects in this earlier era of the firm?
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously the tools um, we had were limited and it was one of the things that why we moved away from ArchiOffice office and towards Monograph and so why Monograph was yeah. selected among oh. the other projects we looked at was that it could do staffing. This was; These are just a, a couple of examples of how we used to, try to organize the office when we had multiple projects and, and not a not a large staff. I mean, I think maybe I uh, B, one of the things that Beatty was talking about it is right on the money and that when you have a small firm, you have to be really flexible. And, and at the same time, I mean, it works for the, the employees because, you know, when you're young, because you get to wear a lot of hats, you see, you don't get pigeonholed, you get to see different project types and are involved in different projects at different stages. So we're trying to get a more complete view of a project. But, you know, while we're staffing, we do look for the specific roles and expertise that are required and then and organize them accordingly. And so this was just a, the attempt at trying to spread several people over many different projects and then, you know, depending on which phase and and uh, availability and and all that um, and the and the, the project schedules. Kind of organized in this way. And it was, you know, it, it was a lot of maintenance. And it, obviously, Excel is a pain in the butt to work with it to to make it do this. Um, but, um, you know, it was really the only way that we could basically project who we would need. Cause if you see some of these things have like XX and, you know, the like XX is, uh, you know, higher that we need to make. Yeah for the project, right? Or, you know, whoever, you know, it's not accounted for yet. So, and then even projects that are brewing, um, that haven't yet been, uh, landed, we had to put on here just so that we kept them on the radar. So, um, yeah, obviously having this tied to fees and costs are essential to managing the office from a financial standpoint, and that had to be done manually. So, and I think, I think I always had aspirations of turning this into the financial, you know, doing projections, but it's just, you know, it needs, needs a third dimension, which (laughs) I couldn't wrap my head around, you know,
1: I was a software engineer, maybe. Staffing is a big component of internal operations and so is billing. Bibi, can you talk through the billing process before Monograph?
0: I was already provided with the information that Sal had input to key Office. He built out the projects, let's say, um, within the program. Um, the designers, the staff, people enter timesheets. So it was basically a timesheet basis for billing and we would manually edit the lump sum basis billing. That part of it was fine, right? Um, the time consuming, overwhelming tasks that, uh, were part of the billing process before monograph was I would review the timesheets or review the information there. Um, I would have to run the invoice, generate a PDF and let's not forget within that there wasn't a way to, um, to upload receipts for expenses. There wasn't a way to um, to automatically track those expenses or not an efficient way, right? So I would have to download the invoice, um, add the expenses, and then generate a QuickBooks payment link in order to send to the client via email. I would then take that total invoice number, the project number invoice information, and add it to a running uh, spreadsheet which is what became our AR, uh, report. Um, in addition to that, we had routine bookkeeping support and I was also, uh, communicating with, with the accountant just feeding them that information. Right. But there wasn't any return support there, just basic one way. Um, so that's what our process was when it came to reminding them it's like the phone calls, the emails and so forth. So. It was a very, very time-consuming process because there were so many documents that had to be manually edited. Uh, the margin for error is much larger, right? So that was our process before Monograph.
1: How did you hear about Monograph? Do you remember? And what was the conversation like internally after you discovered it? And how did you decide to move forward?
0: Sal was the one that pinpointed Monograph, right, Sal? You said someone else was using it or something like that.
1: I don't know.
2: I don't remember how we came across it. Frankly, I,
0: yeah. uh, I think, I, I, I thought you, I thought you did it cause
2: we were looking at a, you, we were looking at three or four we packages, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, we were looking at a few, but they were, they were much more on the enterprise level and as far as affordability went, um, while they had everything that we needed and while they, um. They had everything that we would potentially need were we to grow to like a 20 project 10 million dollar firm. It just it was a little too much for right then, right? So we did a little bit more research, and I really can't I can't say it <clears throat> because I don't remember right uh-huh. sure. Um, but we found monograph, we looked at, at the website, we looked at a few of. Um, the features. And then we had the independent, um, I suppose you'd say sales calls with folks from each company. And, you know, we eliminated the big enterprise groups really quickly because the cost, the cost was about three times what Monograph is. And if, if, if we had the working capital to support that, then we could have supported it, but it just... It just didn't make sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember, you know, the the reason why we wound up choosing Monograph, or at least why it made the short list, is that it was, as you said, it was right-sized. Like, it, it wasn't, you know, and I, as I told you before, because it, 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 I think there are software packages where you have to, like, yeah. change your workflow, and we wanted it to work for us, right? Yes.
0: that, and, that yeah. and I
2: think that's the, you know, like... And, it, it, it there are packages that did way more than what we needed to do and we didn't really want to dive that deep you know we but we wanted to grow in into it a little bit and we also wanted it to do the things that we couldn't do now or before so you know that, that's kind of what we looked for and it it had to look good <laughs>
0: it has to look <laughs> pretty <help. laughs>
2: i mean like um, see the information immediately
0: yeah, one of the things that I wanted to add from my perspective, right? You mentioned earlier my experience with, with technology startups, right? And from that experience, I understand how hungry these people can be. Um, and maybe that's a term that's not easily understood by other people in different industries. But the initial core group of employees that make up that startup They are very driven. They're very dedicated. And very rarely have I had the experience because I've worked on staffing there, right, HR recruiting. Very rarely have I had the experience where I've worked with a startup that said they were going to do something and they ended up not doing it, right? And that's really how we came to be where we are today. Everything that was, I wouldn't say promised, but everything that we were informed about during our initial call with Sam, and even when we were onboarding with a j everything that we have discussed has came to fruition and and ends up supporting our business even more so than it did initially.
1: That's really awesome to hear. um I wanted to ask you about the really like big highlight changes you've seen quantitatively uh, oh, yeah. before <laughs> and after monograph
0: oh yeah, so um. Specifically, we can say the annual cost, right? How can you possibly say that you've spent $34,000 on just a billing system or a project management system, right? So my role here as the office manager, we calculate that 100% of my time is all overhead time. So I took the numbers, the total number of hours that I worked on in- invoicing over, let's say a, a year period. Um, and we ended up with a very significant number and I used my cost rate to apply, um, or to arrive at an actual dollar um, amount there. There was the, um, the annual subscription to Archie Office. There was the subscription to Smartsheets, which is what we were using. There's a the subscription to QuickBooks Online. And, um, there's a subscription to the stock store that I use, right? Just for my user ID, um, to to edit those documents in order to send, right? So that's where that $34,000 annual cost came to be. And that's a very, I I wouldn't say that's a moving number, but I feel that that's a very accurate reflection on what it costed us before Monograph, because there were all these tools that weren't really necessary at that time, right? I, I was spending so much time doing invoicing. When as an overhead employee, I could have been doing many other things, right?
1: Even just the invoicing piece is really what we're focusing on in, in Mm -hmm. some of these two highlights. Um, so one is getting invoices out and the other side is getting them paid.
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So on this note, or this is where I couldn't do this without sell, right? Well, I could, but it wouldn't be as easy. Um, it wouldn't be as fun because we make it fun when we're working together and he's, he's laughing because he, he understands, right? Um, because he worked, he's working on the contract and he understands how it has to be built out, so to speak. So I, I, I know that the data that I'm looking at is 100% accurate, right? I know that I will get the time and attention that I need if I see any sort of inaccuracy. I know that we now have a system which routinely reminds folks to do their timesheets. We have a system which prevents folks from entering time into the wrong category, right? So all of that information is there for me when I'm ready to go invoice. So Sal and I now, I think when we originally started with Monograph, we would maybe spend about three hours on it. Um, now we cover the invoicing, and this is mainly due to our active projects we can cover the invoicing within a 90-minute phone call with very few questions after that point. So that results in a significant reduction on Sal's time. Sal is a billable employee at an associate level. So for me, the less of his time that I take up doing this, the more time he can dedicate to actually bringing revenue into the company, right? As far as the faster time to pay out, We generally had our, our our payment terms within the contract, within the agreement. Um, but again, there's that process, right? Like downloading the PDF, creating the QuickBooks link. Sometimes the QuickBooks links would expire after a certain time. I had to generate another one or I'd have to send wiring information. And sometimes clients just don't really want to pay on time, either because they can't, or there's other going on, right? Either they were promised something and they didn't get it or they don't understand what they got. Um, But now we have that automatic reminder that comes from Monograph. So it's not just me picking up the phone or me sending an email. Um, And I find that people respond more to that, right? Like they'll get the routine reminder. So our average payout before Monograph was about 45 to 60 days. Um, Not because of anything I've been able really to specifically identify. That's just how things were. But now we're focused internally from the contract development and on net fifteen payment terms. And when clients request, we negotiate with them to a different payment term, maybe net thirty or something like that. Right. That's great. Before was that clients were more sticking to the oh, if there's no payment by the forty fifth day, we will suspend services. So they waited until the 44th day to process payment, but now it's a little bit more routine. They understand we have the new system. We communicated with them that we were going to implement a new system that was going to be more efficient and easier to understand for everyone, not just for the clients as well.
1: Amazing. Cause we only have a few more minutes left with Sal. I want to ask Sal, uh, your, your top three features of monograph. I,
2: I think, um. Uh, one of them, I think, goes to what BB was saying, also as a time saver, is being able to pre-populate the time sheets. Each one of the the employees, you know, previously we couldn't do that. We wound up spending a lot of time making sure that the time was entered on the right project, on the right stage, on the right, you know, job code or whatever. And um, the fact that I can do that uh, you know, kind of invisibly and be the hand that says, okay, be, you know, repopulate it and even allocate hours towards say, this is your target, you know, don't go over or whatever. Um, so we can, you know, kind of manage the entire, uh, the CEO, the, the, the schedule. Um, I, I also think that the, um, the ability to, uh, have it at, at my fingertips, the information, the financial information, uh, in terms of the fee and, and, and hours expended, um, over the, you know, per schedule or, or per phase over the schedule of the project is invaluable. I mean, you know, we had it before in the other package, but it's much more transparent, it's easier to follow, it's easier to manage, it's easier to set up. It's easier to adjust. Um and um you know, and and you that the image you have here on the slide is like, you know, when you mouse over the thing you see all the information you need right there. So um you know the the transparency of the data and the and the the speed with which I can find that data. Yeah, and so it's and then it's adjust accordingly. Easy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I have, I have to tell you, Chris, when, when we were going through the demo with, with Sam, like I, I literally said that showing this to Sal was the icing on the cake because this is like his love language, right? This is what his spreadsheets, the original spreadsheets, this is what the original spreadsheets turned into. And not only can he view this, I can view this, Jim can view this, and anyone else that we assign to a certain role, can view this. So the UI that you guys developed is very, very easy to move within and to understand, like there really isn't a significant learning curve for anything. And that's very attractive to us. That's why everyone within our company, um, there's a disclaimer there. Everyone within our company uses this. And it's very effective for me when it comes to invoicing and tracking where we should be.
2: Yeah. And then I I would say, the third thing is was was the being cherry on top for me. Well, actually, it was it was it actually wasn't the cherry on top. It was the essential part um, that we we absolutely had to have. Which, as you saw from the spreadsheets, being able to to, st- to allocate resources, have staff planning over the course of the project, and understand you know where we can allocate times. How, how it works with future projects that are coming up. When we go from D to CDs, we need to another uh, person. When we go to CA, that, those people go away. Where are we going to put them? You know, so it, it's 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 an essential part of planning that you have to have in a practice, and that no, none of the other packages had as intuitive an interface, and um you know the kind of robustness that we needed to. Plan, I mean, and you saw those spreadsheets. That was kind of how we thought about it. That was what we used. This is so much clearer and cleaner to do. So,
1: well, thanks a lot, Sal. I I know you have to jump off, but we really appreciate the time and uh, really cool to hear about your story.
2: I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks thanks for giving Mm me the opportunity. And you're in good hands with BB, sure. She has many stories to tell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sal. Hi.
0: Thanks, Sal. See you later.
1: A huge thing that you were talking about, even when we were looking at the org chart, was not only training staff to be able to use the tool so that you could get the accurate information, but also training yeah. folks up in their careers to yeah. become more project managers.
0: Training up, right? All right, I'm a person that likes to hire, and I suppose this is the HR hat on now, right? I should really have different hats so I can change yeah. them. Um like I like to hire based on personality and based on talent and based on flexibility, right? Meaning you never come into a job as an over-experienced individual, right? That's why we always get those letters that say, you know, we're sorry, blah, blah, blah. Um, and we don't, I, I, I can't say that we hire a specific age demographic, right? But what we do hire. Um, is a specific experience demographic. We are a very small firm. Um, We are the smallest that we have been in a while. And that functions really well for us because we're very efficient with that timing, right? Um, The way that it works pretty much is knowing how to place people in the correct role, right? And one of the things that I wanted to mention before when Sal was talking about staffing is we we handle so many different things, if, even as designers, like sometimes I'll have an RFP that I want to respond to, but I need a designer to help me put the final package together because I don't know the software that we use to put the package together, right? So we never really budget each individual's time at a hundred percent capacity. We always make sure that there's some sort of capacity available so that if they needed to bounce somewhere else, do something for me. Or for gym specifically, we can do that. Um, and it's, it's also a very distinct teaching environment, like the way the office runs. And yes, I'm at my home right now, but the way the office runs is a studio environment, right? We have the open desks. Um, we have the communal tables where you can be talking about two yeah. different projects between two different teams. Um, it's, it's an environment I found that more people thrive on. And some people flounder, right? Um, and we try to put people in positions where we know they're going to flourish, not flounder. And that is a distinct talent. Like I said, it's, it's, it's always a joint decision between me, Sal and Jim usually starts with someone sending us an unsolicited email. Jim reviewing it or I reviewing it and and saying, Hey, I think this person may be good helping me on the financial end. I think this person might be a good fit to help me with the marketing stuff. Or, you know, wow, this is a great designer. We need them in here. Right? So it's, it's, it's really that collaboration that starts from Jim, Sal and I. And I think that sort of connected decision-making process that we have that trickles down to the team right? And they always know that they're going to have the support. The way Monograph, I think, has helped that is because everyone knows where their time is going. Everyone knows beforehand what they're supposed to be working on. They know how much capacity they have. Pretty much, you know how much time you can spend at the water cooler or getting some fresh air on the roof deck, right? So that's why we're more efficient now.
1: Just for folks that are not familiar with how the platform works, here's kind of an example of why folks know where their time is budgeted. As you can see here, we're looking at an overview of all the project schedules. But inside of every project dashboard, you actually edit and assign time to phases per person. And that becomes the baseline that you measure your fee consumption on as you, as your team tracks time. But instead of it being just a giant bucket of, okay, I'm assigned 50 hours on DD and I'm gonna try to use up all those hours as a designer, or as a project architect, or as a project manager, we understand that folks need a little bit more pacing guidance, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why you have these three different ways to look at your budget. The first way to look at it is in a weekly view. So this is where folks are more tactical in reviewing the week and setting time for the week across the team. But as Sal was mentioning earlier in that Excel spreadsheet, you also want to have long-range planning. So you're not in a situation where you've taken on work without the staff capacity to do that. And then on, uh, as a result of this staffing, the budget is reminded to you when you are tracking your time, so you have these visual indicators, and that's how we sort of complete this loop in monograph to help firms um, not only make plans but also realize utilizing staff time because everybody knows if you've worked in a firm it's easy for your team members to start working on something and then just things happen in the office and they kind of go in a different direction than the right. plan and the big risk is that you could not learn that for a few weeks when it comes to billing, and so uh, that is so common in the industry. Budgeting at a at a planning level, and then how that trickles out into your team tracking time.
0: Also, most importantly for me, um, and this is where Jim comes in with the data that he requires. Right, um, all of that information that you just mentioned um, compounded works to give me. Revenue projection, right, which again, before was done on a spreadsheet based on percentage or based on hours, right? So I think one thing that Sal didn't touch on is that original spreadsheet that we used to use that would eventually translate into another spreadsheet with a million circular references to give us somewhat of an accurate revenue projection. right, so this puts it all into, I'd say one tool one resource that between Sal and I, we know how to use it effectively. And we're still learning some things, right? But like Sal was saying, we, we didn't want a software where we would have to grow into what the software is providing. We sort of wanted a, a software that would provide what we needed and at the same time, have the room to accommodate us if we needed more. And that's what Monograph does.
1: That's so cool. What would you say is the most surprising benefit that you've seen from Monograph?
0: My time. <laughs> but that's, that's not surprising because, you know, I, I ran the numbers and I knew that it was going to happen. The most surprising and, um, like, I always start a, with an idea, with a vision, right? Um, but the fact that all of our employees use it all of our employees know how to use it. All of our employees ask questions or they have resources where they can simply click a link, type a question, type a keyword. They get the answer. They get the visual. Uh, they get screenshots and written words on how to do something. So if they don't know the answer, they come to me, they come to Sal. We don't have the time to do it. Monograph provides that resource, right? Um, I'd say the most surprising thing is the improved and continued collaboration between me and Sal, between Sal and I and the entire team. And not surprising really, because AJ and Sam did mention it, it was on the roadmap. But again, I just want to say the things that weren't active or weren't live when we, when we signed up, but they're live now, like okay. they were live before the end of the calendar year and I was like, yes, this is new total win. You didn't lie to me. And and I think I had sent AJ an email to that effect. Like, you did not lie to me. This is live now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, the continuity with the staff, right? Continuity is a big thing for me. The continuity with the staff, knowing that I'm talking with the same person about the same thing or about new things, but it's knowing that there's going to be familiar faces. And for me, from where I sit with the HR hat on again, that means the company is doing something right to have their employees with them throughout this time.
1: We're so proud of our focus on service at Monograph and it has been so cool to uh see your experience with with AJ um and with Sam previously and we listen and we care about solving problems so those things that were on the roadmap one of those was um time yes. off. So can you tell us a little bit about why this is so important and just uh yeah. Uh, a really cool thing that actually uh, was released this week was holidays, in fact. Yes. So if you haven't yeah. taken a look at that, uh, just go into monograph, and you'll see on your menu there's a what's new that'll give you.
0: Oh, that'll be done right after yeah, this, trust <laughs> right. So what, what we did before, so I started with the company about, uh, wow, nine years ago, right? Um, there was no real documentation of paid time off. Um, we did use ArchiOffice for some of those things, but there was no real reconciliation, like on a quarterly basis, on an annual basis, it was a spreadsheet based tool. Um, and I, not that I have anything against Excel, but whenever you have to manually change data, there's a distinct increased margin for error. Right? So we weren't really tracking this, um, and we wanted to track it, not because it's an issue, but we wanted to be more transparent. Like we wanted employees to know what they're getting when they're using it, how it can be used. We, we just wanted to be more transparent and we wanted to be more accountable to ourselves in accounting for the time that employees are with the company. Right. Um, so this came up. <laughs> And it has been a completely beautiful thing. Like the dashboard is so easy to understand. Um, the UI, you guys did a fantastic job there. It was very easy for me to set up the policies that are active, um, that we want to track. And it's very easy for me, Jim or Sal to go into that dashboard to see who's got scheduled time off, who has scheduled time, who has taken time, what that time has has been. But the most important thing about this, and I'm sure AJ and Sam will concur that when I asked about it, this is what I I said, it's all about minimizing my time, right? It's about minimizing my time spent on, I think, mundane, unnecessary tasks to generate a spreadsheet. And as an employee, you shouldn't really be coming to me asking me, hey, how much time have I taken? You should be saying, you know, Hey, I think I've got a week left. Can you confirm that for me? You know? Um, so this has been really helpful. The entire process in recording it, tracking it, approving it, reconciling it. Fantastic. And it's pretty much a little hesitant to use the term, but it's very, very brainless. It's automatic. Once it's set up, it's very simple to use. And I'm excited about the holidays now, too. So like I said, I'm going to do that right away.
1: One really cool thing is we do give you 12 common holidays that you can pick from, but you can also customize your own. So I think you were saying that even New York has some unique holidays. Yeah,
0: we're in New York City, um, New York State. So we not only have New York City rules to follow, we have New York State rules to follow. Um, So there are some holidays celebrated in New York City per se that are not celebrated outside of New York City. Right. Perfect example would be there's one specific holiday, Juneteenth. It's an acknowledged holiday in New York City for all five counties. I live in Putnam County. So even though I'm off that day, Putnam County, nothing's closed, right? So it's still a regular working day, even though it's two different counties within the same state. We are
1: going to move on to Q&A now. So uh, we've got a question about the office manager role. So Megan, I'd love for you to ask your question.
3: Are you able to hear your spine? Yeah. Yes. Okay, yes. wonderful. So um, it sounds like you and I, B.B., are in very similar roles. excuse me, with our companies, um, despite your office manager title, you mm-hmm. serve an HR role, you're comprehensive. Um, and with my company, I, my title is business manager, um, and it's an executive role with my company. Um, and I have struggled. Uh, I've been with the company for about a year, and uh, most recently, I've struggled with um Our most recent hire, um, as well as external um, people to the company, treating me "quote unquote" just an admin, like just an admin, Mm -hmm. um, which is frustrating. (laughs) Um, And Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone should treat even just an admin like an admin. Um, I think everyone within a company has a very um, critical role and provides a lot of support. Um, Just on top of that, that is not what my role is. Um, Mm -hmm. You encountered this. uh, if you haven't encountered this, how would you um, address these kind of issues internally and externally? And um, if you haven't encountered this, or even if you have, um, how does your company effectively convey the importance of your position with the company? I
0: definitely want to say I feel for you, right? Um, and the I'm I'm going to try to take your questions in order. The sure. office manager handle, um is what I I was hired at. Um, depending on what document I'm submitting, I use a different title. (laughs) Um, based on my salary and my responsibility within the company, I'm considered an executive position. The three people that you see at the top there, Jim, Sal, and I, um, Jim and Sal couldn't do this without me personally. Um, if they had to replace me and we've already done the job analysis for this, they would have to hire three full-time people. Right. Now. Have I had similar experiences? I've had many, many experiences along those lines. I've had folks who have spoken to me on the phone, um, had a great conversation with them on the phone. They walk into the office. They're not expecting the face you see. Uh, (laughs) And they've literally said, hey, I need to speak to Phoebe. I'm like, it's BB. No, I need to speak to Phoebe. I spoke with her. She understands. While you spoke with me. Okay, no problem. There's Jim, you know? Um, I think a lot of that, Megan, stems from culture also, right? You you said you've been there a little over a year. Um, it, It stems from culture and how the employee is welcomed to the firm, how the employee's role is communicated to the firm, and also the interpersonal dynamics that are already established, right? Culture is one of the most difficult things to impact change within um, and it all starts at the top. We might go into a role like very excited and very hungry to get this job done. It's an exciting company to be with for whatever circumstances within our personal life. We made that decision to be here, right? But if we don't have the support, it's very difficult. I would start my recommendation to you is speak to your immediate manager. You're in an executive role. Um, to me, it's, it seems like. Maybe there was someone in this role before, and the treatment of that role has been accepted before. So that's why it's accepted now. I I wouldn't be hesitant to say it's completely unacceptable. But the one thing that I have to say that I have learned is small firms. Small firms, um, especially when we're partnered with a PEO a professional employer or organization, we partner with Extensis. Um, they are our PEO. They, we run payroll through that. They are our employer of record. So when we get our W2, it shows Extensis. it doesn't show Garrison. Um, Garrison Architects is the worksite employer. That relationship is really good. And I. I try to capitalize upon that relationship, upon the tools and resources they offer to me as as a manager, very, very highly and highly dependent upon them because I get to learn strategies. I get to learn challenges. I get to learn ways in which I can communicate certain things to my boss and the people that I collaborate with. Right. And they also have their own distinct culture. So that culture I try to bring to Garrison. But at the end of the day, if something has been accepted and nothing has been done to address it or communicate that it's unacceptable, it's going to continue. I don't know if that really addresses your question, um, or provides you with a sort of plan of action on how to address the concerns you have. Um, but like I said, I would start with my immediate manager. Because I'm guessing your firm is small enough that you don't have a specific HR department, right?
3: Right, yeah. And uh, our companies are very, very similar in that we have two owners. And then me and I'm on that top tier, just, you know, the triangle like you have at the top of yours. Um, And I am actually, this is, I am the first person in this role. So I'm creating it for (laughs) myself in a way. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like we function very, very similarly
0: you're more than welcome to reach out to me and I'd be more than happy to have a more personal discussion with you offline. Thank you so much. All right, welcome.
1: Thanks for your question, Megan. Really, really awesome uh, conversation here. I love talking to folks like you, Megan and, and BB, folks who are in the business professional role in Jeff. small firms. And uh, we often hear what you're talking about, Megan, Um, how does that role fit in, especially in an industry that has not always regarded business uh, at the level that it should. And so part of our mission at Monograph is to break that taboo of business is bad for design. We don't believe that. Um, And so that's why we're highlighting folks in firms that are seeing great success in the design business. (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that story. One thing I noticed about folks like you, Bibi, and Megan, though, is that uh, you're not as interconnected with each other as architects are. Um, So Sal, for example, he just before this call started, I share a a connection with Sal that we didn't realize. He's very close to an architect that I know. um, And Sal also was involved with referring another customer that came in. So there's a lot of interconnected folks in the architecture side, but not so much in the business professional in these firm side like with Bibi. So any way that we can try to encourage more folks like you to connect with each other. And if you have ideas too, we'd love to hear. Do you have any ideas, BB, of how we could maybe uh, create more interconnectedness between office uh, managers, business professionals across the industry?
0: So I have actually been thinking about that in the past few weeks since we started our own dialogue about this, right? Um, I was just going to respond to the chat. Um, They can have my garrison email. I, I think that's the most efficient right now. Right. So you can share that with everyone. Um, one of the things that I do in my personal life, I don't know if I had told you the many, many hats that I wear. Right. Um, I, I love helping people. Right. I love literally my, my personal consulting website. The tagline says helping people understand their value. Right. Because it's only when we understand our value that we're able to not really demand our, our value, but impress upon others, the change needed so that we feel valued. Right. Um, there's a distinct disconnect because our role, mine and Megan's, and I'm sure I think it it was Felice, isn't really a role that can be defined. And I think our role is the need for our role is derived from the fact that in academia, in an academic um, architectural program, there really is no business management requirement, right? You would have to take those courses um, or business administration, you would have to take those courses as an elective. For what I understand, many architectural programs, they're so stringent, they're so rigid, there is no room for that. So you have many new architects, many architects who've been in, in the fields for X number of, of years who do not have an understanding of business management, business practice, um, employee management. There, there are some owners that I've spoken with all at, at small firms who really don't think federal and state rules and laws apply to their firm because this is the way things have always been done. Um, no, an employee is not going to sue me. Like, for real? <laughs> just because you think you have a great relationship with an employee because you've known them for 10 years, there are now rules and regulations in place to protect not only that employee, but also yourself. So that whole description there, Megan Police, I, th- I think that's where we come in. That's why we might be hired as an office manager role, but we end up wearing so many different hats because we see the need, we fill the need. Right. Um, and I think we, this role is often the the role that works most often over capacity than all other roles because we're overhead, right? And overhead isn't really, there's no valuation for our salary. There's no valuation for our commitment to the firm because there's no real dollar value attached to it. And that is the biggest challenge that I have found because there's no dollar value attached to my contribution. Like, it's very difficult to understand how my contribution helps the company to survive, right? Like not necessarily to thrive, but in some instances in the past nine years, help the company to survive because that's what it's had to do. And and I'm sure many of, of you have experienced the same thing. Like Chris said, I bring a number of different experiences to the table. And it's a combination of those experiences. The things that I do in my personal lives, how I approach my personal life, that is able to help me, I suppose, do the job that I do here without feeling like I'm pulled in 10 different directions. Though I do feel that way all the time, right?
1: Thank you so much, Bibi. It's such an important conversation, and it's a conversation that a lot of folks relate to. Um, and I think that sharing your story like we are today is going to help folks like Megan and Felice and other folks make progress. And I'm hoping that more conversation can continue between uh, the three of you and, and more. So yeah. thank you so much. Uh, th- and thank you also for the t- for the overtime today. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Welcome. I appreciate it, fun. Thank you for having us. It was very good to share. Megan and Felice, I'll connect with you guys on LinkedIn.
1: Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Hit the subscribe button to get the latest A&E business stories like this. You can learn more about the Garrison Architect story on our website. Go to monograph.com slash customers or click the link in the show notes. New to Monograph? We've been in your seat. Instead of relying on gut feeling to manage your firm, you can now use real-time data to make decisions. Stay under budget with visual trackers, avoid burnout with simple staffing, and replace slow, clunky processes with quick and simple workflows. But that's not all. You can track day-to-day activities across your team, peer into the future to plan for your next big project, and quickly identify opportunities for growth. Plus, we know you love visuals. That's why there's less cells, more charts, less columns, more colors, less hiding, more visibility. You get the picture. We call it a performance management platform. It helps you and your team be more informed and productive, which allows everyone to make better decisions, which decreases overhead and grows your profit. Basically, performance becomes a lot easier to manage because it's no longer hiding from you. Go to monograph.com to get started and get performance in plain sight.